Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. In today's sweaty brain stretching work in, you're going to hear all about how the brain stretches and molds itself all based on the decisions you make in life, and that it's literally never too late to change your future, according to science. Now, Dr. Tara Swart, leading neuroscientist and chief science officer at Heights, unpacks probably my favorite topic in brain science. WTF is neuroplasticity. So, welcome Tara. So neuroplasticity is basically the ability of the brain to change. So we know that the brain changes throughout life. We know that if you've watched a child grow from zero to two, how they go from being able to do absolutely nothing and being so vulnerable and helpless to walking, talking, having their own opinion, being able to feed themselves, starting to make friends. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing when you look at what happens in the first two years of life. And then, um, but, you know, five to 12, there's a lot of formal learning it's still quite like simple. It's still a lot about safety and learning emotions and stuff. And then during the teenage years, there's a huge amount of neural pruning. So the brain has grown massively until about the age of 13. And then it's about making it more sophisticated. So it's not just about bigger is better. It's about, um, you know, focusing on the pathways that are going to make successful adults out of these teenagers. And so, for example, you know, if you haven't learned five languages by the time you're 13, then you don't need some pathways that were wired into your brain. So they just get pruned away. And, and actually, that active process of the brain being shaped and molded by everything that it experiences, formal learning, every person you meet, every emotion you experience, every memory you recall, that goes on really actively till the age of 25. We used to think that your personality is pretty much formed by the time you were 18. And then from 25 to 65, and this is the area that I find the most exciting, there's so much that you can do to keep your brain really flexible and you know, keep it learning, keep it growing and changing. I think an important point here is that if you, you know, learn a new language, if you meet new people, if you travel, of course, you're doing like really good things to your brain, but neuroplasticity works for good or bad. So if you are indulging in bad habits, addictions, going over negative memories, hanging around with you know, people who damage your self-esteem or your confidence, you're also letting neuroplasticity happen to your brain. So you know, it needs to be thought of in that holistic way. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, there does seem to be a window, late 30s, early 40s, where if you have really got on top of your sleep cycle, your diet, your hydration, your oxygenation of your brain, and really positive, meaningful social interactions, you're setting yourself up to age much better than if you don't do those things. And, you know, the story of neuroplasticity is an interesting one. We obviously used to think it's, uh, you know, you're born with a certain brain and stuck with it, right? And that story has changed enormously over the years. So do you want to take us through a little bit of the knowledge of the, the story behind neuroplasticity and its discoveries? Yeah, so the whole, you know, the pendulum swing between, you know, nature and nurture, basically, um, for a long time, it swung very much in favor of DNA is everything. Um, now we have this amazing sort of quite emerging field called epigenetics, which is the effect of the environment on your gene expression. 
So yes, we have certain genes that we inherit from our parents, but we have the ability to switch on or off the expression of some of those through our lifestyle behaviours. If you think of a shoelace with those little plastic bits at the end, that's how I describe a telomere, which is at the end of a uh, you know, DNA sequence, is that if you indulge in good lifestyle habits along the lines of what we've discussed already, you keep those neatly closed up. If you indulge in, in negative lifestyle habits, then they start to fray and then you start you know, to get damage and degradation of your DNA. So also that you don't inherit the genes that your parents were born with, you inherit the the genes that, you know, what they've done with their lifestyle factors by the time they've, they've conceived you. Um, and we now know a lot of interesting stuff about transgenerational inheritance. So we know that people who were in the Holocaust or in the Dutch famine who experienced severe stress at a certain fertile time of their life passed on um, differently regulated stress responses, not just to their children, but also to their grandchildren. So it's very, very complex, but it's, it's very exciting as well. Um, but like I said, for a long time, we only knew about stuff about the brain because of things that went wrong. Um, what we've been able to do now, for example, um, the London cabbies that do the knowledge. Like when I was doing my PhD, or even for some time after that, we didn't really know if these taxi drivers had a propensity to be able to form knowledge in the part of the hippocampus where memory and navigation are connected. Or if the learning actually grew and changed that part of their brain. But since we got the sophisticated scanning technologies, we definitely see that the difference between starting and completing the knowledge has physically changed the part of the brain where memory and navigation are connected. This is why I say I, I don't accept hard wiring as an excuse for bad behaviour kind of thing, is that you know, we're so much more malleable than that. So for millennia in our evolution, we lived in caves, alpha males impregnated lots of women and then went off in a nomadic way and maybe came back later, maybe never came back to that cave. So, for in, you know, in the history of humanity, for a relatively short period of time, most cultures around the world have asked people to live in unit families. Now, we've known for a long time that when a woman is, you know, has the pregnancy hormones, has the oxytocin during childbirth and breastfeeding, that this is the hormone of bonding that underlies that amazing bond between a new mum and her baby. And we didn't think that oxytocin had an effect on father's brains. And as far as we know, we only, we've only known for about nine years now that new dad's brains, the limbic system where the emotions come from, are altered by oxytocin when they first become a dad. So the oxytocin levels go up, and that's all about feeling warm and cuddly and wanting to protect your baby rather than testosterone, which would make you want to compete. So when you become a new dad, your testosterone levels go down a bit. If the baby sleeps in the same room as both parents, the dad's testosterone levels go down even more. So that's, like, that's neuroplasticity in action. It's amazing. So with neuroplasticity then, are there correlations between, let's say, lifelong learners and longevity and overall mental fitness as we age then? So we do know that your intelligence level, and I'm not a big fan of IQ, but you know, however you rate your intelligence, and that can be just being savvy, it can be being flexible, um, and your educational level, your formal educational level, does push back the threshold for showing up dementia symptoms by up to five years. So we do know that learning 
has a very, very significant impact on brain health and mental fitness, as, as you put it. Other forms of learning throughout life, they have to be attention intense enough to create the similar effect. So unfortunately, crosswords and Sudoku, they're not attention intense enough, unless you're like really not a numbers person and you start up Sudoku. But learning a, la a new language or learning a musical instrument are the classic examples of things that are attention intense enough to physically change your brain. Um, you know, for some people, it might be cooking, it might be coding. It's just pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and having to make such an effort that it actually builds up new neural pathways in your brain. Yeah, and going beyond that story that you tell yourself whether you can or you can't do something, which ultimately, you know, to quote Dr. Armin, who very poignantly says, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. And therefore, you know, I'm not a guitar player or violin player I mean you can become any of those things it's just going to be challenging and that's the whole point and benefit of it as well actually enjoyment is part of it too so I might not become like a recognized artist or be any good but if I enjoy painting or sketching then I should do it and we know that with exercise if you do exercise that you enjoy rather than dragging yourself to the gym at the end of the day you actually get more release of brain derived neurotrophic factor makes perfect sense. So with neuroplasticity, is it kind of a case of use it or lose it? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, it's a very active process till we're about 25. Then it's, it's stable. So it's more a case of at best you'll plateau. And, you know, I think a lot of people in our community are people that want to keep growing. So you're not going to lose it if you just do your day job and see the same people over and over again, but you're not going to, you're not going to build it up. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, what are your top tips or tricks for people that are, are listening to grow their neural networks? Or in fact, you know, what are the three tips that you have for us to take away? Okay, so just as a general overview, I'd like to say, you know, be amazed by how much potential your brain has. It's way more than we ever thought. Be prepared to do the hard work. and But understand that the benefit that you will get is greater than just the thing that you choose to learn, for example. But the three sort of mechanisms for inducing neuroplasticity are aerobic exercise. Um, and I know you put up one of my favorite quotes on Instagram the other day, which is, if you regularly do aerobic exercise, you've got a 12 to 13% turnover rate of you know, neurogenesis, which is new cells turning into neurons. If you've been a couch potato and then you start exercising, that goes up to 30%. So that's definitely my excuse for like with my on-off exercise schedule. Novelty is another thing that induces neuroplasticity. So exposing yourself to new things. You know, in a very primitive way, this can feel threatening for the brain, but actually it's a way to like, you know, get that intensity that you require. And then emotional intensity also has a very big effect on the brain. So there I'd probably give a word of warning, which is that if you experience, you know, a lot of stress or you have a negative interaction, that, you know, that can become like a loop in your brain. So it's either about protecting yourself from that or like inducing really positive emotions to help you on your learning journey. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from one to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week.